The prayers were answered. I was standing on the side of the road, Rudedi, outside Iowa City, when it started raining. It was an an overcast, dark, cold morning, March 1972. I wanted to go to California. I wanted to leave Iowa City far behind. I felt I had really overdone my stay. The car sped down the highway, leaving me cold. The rain was hitting my guitar, and I started to get a little bit nervous, fearing that it might get damaged by the rain. I pulled a plastic tarp out of my backpack and put it over all my possessions. I stood on the rain with my poncho and cowboy hat on. It was me against the world and all its elements. I was strong and alive and all the degradation that the situation in Iowa City had created were going to be left behind and washed by the rain. I was a thief once for reasons unknown, even by my psychiatrist and therapist, but I was not a thief now and never again. To lose such a friend for such lame accusations seemed absurd to me. I was not a thief now. I started to think somehow of karma was catching up to me and the million time once I was caught stealing one time in Colorado because perhaps it was God punishing me for a thief who had never escaped his reputation. Ray had really done me wrong. I couldn't figure out why he thought I was the one who stole his hash. Why I would steal it he gave me more than I could ever want. Ah, but that was far behind me now. The highway was my best friend once again. The law of the road all was all forgiving. The rain was washing me clean. I was hitchhiking only for an hour when a small yellow station wagon pulled over to pick me up. The driver, a nice-looking friendly guy, jumped out to dodge raindrops while he opened the back window so I could throw my stuff in the car. Ah, hi, I said. He he nodded and asked where I was going. California, how about you? I said real proud. Me too, he said to my surprise. But I never pick up hitchhikers. This is a first, so hop in. I was confused, but I, I did what he said. I dealt with a flurry of raindrops when we were both in the car and on our way down the road. I was trying to figure out what he meant by never picking up hitchhikers. I had a flash that he was gay or something weird, but then I didn't care what he was if he was going to drive me all the way to California. I couldn't believe the luck my first ride of the day all the way to Frisco Bay. Are you really going to California? I asked. I sure am, he said, and not because I want to either, but because I have to. I'm serving in the Army and then expected to report for duty in two weeks outside San Diego. Wow, the Army. That's too bad. Is it tough? I was trying to be conversational. Well, he said, it's tough, but it's not as, it's got its good points too. Really? What could that be? I thought for sure he was going to say lots of girls and drugs or something. 
I found a, a few good people to share my faith with God and show him so many things about it serving in my country. I thought, I'm a religious freak. Oh, no. Could I handle this? Quickly, I changed the subject. What did you mean you never pick up hitchhikers? It's true, I never do. What made you change your mind? Felt sorry for me in the rain? No, my foot just hit the brake pedal and I stopped. I was starting to get baffled. I got the nerve to look at him in the face and noticed he looked confused too. Are you joking with me? I asked him plainly. No, not at all. I honestly never pick up hitchhikers, but when I was driving by, I saw you out of the corner of my eye, and I hit the brakes. He paused and said, I felt something strange about you, as if God wanted me to pick you up or something. Oh, just that, I said, as my head didn't obviously contrive double take. God just telling you to stop? I was worried there for a minute. I didn't really want to believe him. Does God talk to you a lot while you're driving, I said mockingly. No, not always while I'm driving. He was being cautious now because he sensed I was being a wise guy. My relationship with God is personal and rewarding, as should everyone's, and I talk with him all the time, that I possibly can. He would talk to you too if you wanted to. By the way, my name's Doug. What's yours? I could tell he didn't want to make me uncomfortable. I relaxed a little. My name is Gary. Nice to meet you, Doug. There was a moment of silence as we sped down the highway. A few of my friends back east had become Jesus freaks. At Time Magazine had called the born-again Christian movements that had received so much media attention in the early 70s. Their persistent evangelistic sermons were enough to make most people want to avoid them like a plague. I always liked religious people, but I never understood the new craze that was going on. Most of the hippies that had become Jesus freaks were just a little too much or even for even me. I always thought of that type of person as being very lost, even though they talk so much about being found. My Quaker background had given me an informal, relaxed attitude about religion. I thought I was close to God without even thinking about it. I often prayed as a child and still prayed at different times all through my life, but I never considered myself to have a personal conversation with God himself. It seemed too absurd. I began to ponder Doug didn't mean just praying to God and not really having actual one-to-one back-and-forth conversation. Do you really mean you talk to God or you just pray? I converse with God, and the better I get to know Him, the better I understand what He tells me. Well, to actually hear His voice, I wanted to get to the bottom of this right now. I hear His words. I think you're being evasive, Doug. I was going to pin him down. Do you actually hear his voice? I hear his voice from the deep inside me, and I hear his word from the voices of many people around me. Do you read the, the Bible, Gary? Well, not for a while, Doug. I answered with a uh, twinge of guilt. But I believe in God, and I still pray, and I was always religious. So I understand what you mean. How can you believe in God and not read the Bible? He said, interrupting me. The Bible 
is the Word of God. And if you need to know what God says to you, have to know what His Word says. Well, I suppose you're right. Do you believe in the Bible is the Word of God? I suppose, but I never really thought about it. Do you wish to talk to God? He was being obvious. I told you I pray quite often, I said. How can you expect him to hear you if you don't know his word? Well, it comes to me like you said, everyone has to know God in his own personal way. And I feel I have a good relationship with God in my own fashion. That's great, Gary. I'm really glad to hear that. He took me by surprise by the sincerity of his response. He seemed genuinely happy for me. And he didn't try to push the topic anymore. And neither did I. I wondered inside if I really did know God or if he even existed. Then I remembered the airplane ride and how when I got really scared, he was the first one I called for. I suppose I owed him the courtesy of at least to find out more what he wanted. I started to think that perhaps I should start reading the Bible again. Perhaps that was the one thing I had been ignorant of. Perhaps it was the only thing left keeping me from being one with the universe. Do you believe in being one with the universe, Doug? What do you mean, Doug was puzzled by this question. Don't you believe that being one with the universe and all creation is necessary to reach tranquility and a harmonious place with the world? You know the egoless philosophy, don't you, Doug? I thought I'd really get him on this one. No, I don't really know that one, Gary. I do know that you can't feel any kind of inner peace that is good as being one with God. I suppose being one with the universe would be easy after you became one with the God. Are you one with God, Doug? I have been getting close to God and have found it very rewarding. He is inside of me and I hope to become with God a very, one with God very soon. He had a deep look on his face and I could tell he was not trying to push something on me and he seemed to suddenly disappear in thought. I left him alone. I wondered if we were going to make it all the way to California together. We drove all the way into Nebraska before we said another word together. I've got to stop and call a friend of mine who lives in Lincoln. I'd, I'd like to stop for lunch there, if it's all right with you, Gary. It won't be much out of the way, and we won't be long, I promise. Sounds okay to me, Doug. I'm in no hurry. Doug stopped the car in a rest area and called his friend in Lincoln. When he got back in the car, he was smiling and looking relieved. Tom says, come on in. We should be able to get there in about an hour. I think you will like Tom. He's a very special type of guy. The hour flew by as we talked much less seriously about all sorts of different things. I began to really like Doug, and he was very interested to know what it was like to be a musician. He told me 
he was looking forward to hearing me play, and I enjoyed the prospect of an audience. I love to put it on a concert in the old time. He even thought his friend Tom would like to hear me play too. I was excited and I started thinking of the songs that I would want to play. I have a lot of things that I have to talk about with Tom. I'm sure you'll be comfortable while we are talking. Tom's wife is great to talk to and they have a great little baby. Well, don't worry about me, Doug, but how long do you think you'll be? Oh, not long, I don't think. When we got to Tom's house, he was standing outside with his baby in his arms. We pulled to the car door and parked. Both jumped out. Doug walked over and greeted Tom in a few words and handshake. When I came over, Doug introduced me. Gary, this is Tom Buzzard and his little baby David. Tom and I shook hands. He was a big man with floppy black hair and a friendly smile. Welcome was all he said, and we all went inside his house. When we got inside, I was introduced to his wife, Mary, who took the baby and gave me a friendly hello. Tom and Doug excused themselves and went into another room. I sat down in the living room, which, after I had run back out and gotten my guitar, I was itchy to strum some chords. Little David stayed with me and listened for a while. I just I played Neil Young and Dylan songs and some of my own songs. Everything I sang was intense and emotional. All the lyrics were demanding and either angry or hurt or both. The fire and passion I felt and sang with was not being absorbed by my little audience. It was obvious that they could not relate to the youthful cries of a modern folk singer. There was somehow no sense of the world I belonged to. Within the walls of that house, the inner confusion that I felt inside and sang about so well would not be absorbed by the peaceful, resolved air that surrounded us. I felt out of place. Mary looked at me and just smiled after I'd finished. I didn't think the words of Down by the River or the times they are a-changing even sounded like English to her. I was relieved when Doug came back into the room. At least he knew who Dylan was, and he wanted to hear blowing in the wind, and I didn't know it. (laughs) I decided to put my guitar away. No one complained about that. I really wanted to get out of there soon. Doug asked me to step outside for a second to talk. Gary, Tom and I have been talking, and we decided it would be best if I stayed for a few days. I was stunned, and now I had to find a new ride to California. What happened, Doug? I thought you were just stopping for a few hours. Well, I'm sorry, Gary. I didn't realize this was going to happen. It's something that that is real important to me and didn't know it was as serious until Tom helped me to see it. Wow, Doug. Sounds heavy, Doug. 
What is the matter? Are you sick or something? Can I help you at all? No, thank you. It's a spiritual matter. But I suppose only God can help me with. Well, do you suppose he could help you while you're driving down the highway? I'll take the wheel. I was trying to be calm. Besides, Doug, I really want to go to California. Sorry, Gary, I guess we'll have to have to find you another ride. Right then, Tom came back in the room. He looked relaxed, very concerned for Doug. Well, I suppose you men would like something to eat. We both looked up. Doug said, sounds good to me, Tom. Well, come in. Mary has got some soup and sandwiches, and I'm starved too. Let's eat. I had my own food in my pack. I could smell the soup and smelled better than anything I I could have. So I jumped up with Tom, Doug, and said, thanks. I walked with Tom into the kitchen. Doug explained to Tom that I was young traveler on his way to California and the, that I would be needing a ride since he was postponing the trip. Tom said he would give a call over to the college, University of Nebraska, and see if any of his friends could find me a ride. I told Tom not to worry because I could always hitchhike. Doug told, told me that it would be best to get a ride because the police didn't take too kindly to hitchhikers. I agreed with that, and Tom added that it took a few days to find a ride, but I couldn't worry, I shouldn't worry because there was plenty of room to stay overnight. I could stay in the basin with Eric and John. Wow, thanks, Tom. That's really nice of you. It's nice to meet some hospitable people. I couldn't believe how sincere and friendly he and Doug both were being. They could have just told me to leave and forgotten about me. Who are Eric and John? Your sons, Tom? No, Gary. They're just part of the household. You'll get a chance to meet them. They're, they should be coming home for lunch any minute. How many people live here, Tom? I was starting to get real curious in what was going on around this place and why Doug had chosen to come here. Well, Gary, most of the time, just Eric and John and Janet and me, son David and I, except, of course, when people like you and Doug stopped by, you gave me a big smile. Well, now, Tom, who is Janet? Janet, like Eric and John, lives here and helps support the household. They are all very helpful, and Janet does some of the secretarial work for us also. Just when Janet walked out of the inside room with little David in her arms. Of course, she does some babysitting too, Tom said with a nod in her direction. A lot of babysitting, Tom, and you know it, Janet said slightly annoyed. Janet wore glasses and was quite tall and sort of school marm, school teacher type. Janice is the real brains around here, Tom said, with a wise guy tone that made us all laugh. Sure, Tom, try to flatter me now. 
Janet glanced at me and winked. She and Tom seemed to enjoy each other. Oh, by the way, this is Gary, a new friend who Doug brought with him. Both Gary and Doug might be with us a few days. Nice to meet you, Gary. You couldn't have come to a nicer place. I was almost afraid to ask what kind of place it was. Well, Janet, thank you, and I don't think I'll be staying long because I'll be going to California, probably right after we get finished eating. I couldn't wait to get back on the road. We all sat down at the dining room table, and Mary brought in lunch for us all. As soon as we sat down, the door swung open, and in walked Eric and John. Both were about 24 years of age, with short hair and slim figures. Janet looked up and yelled, Just in time for prayer, boys. They both sat down immediately and bowed their head, and Tom began to pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the food we are about to eat. We thank you, Lord, for making our table big enough so that we can feed our friends and fellow Christians. May you look down upon us, great and merciful Lord. Bring us more ways of happiness as you already have. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Everyone echoed amen, and we began to eat. Who have we got here, Tom? A new recruit? Eric was referring to me. This is Gary, and you remember Doug here. They nodded. Gary, this is Eric and John. I looked at the two men with a little confusion, but they were busy eating. They all made lighthearted conversations at the table, and I was able to get lost in my daydreams. I remember that I had a joint in my sock, and I couldn't wait to be on the highway again and, and smoke it. I could tell from the book, the looks of the members of the household that none of them were dope smokers. And most likely, I was the first hippie they had ever eaten lunch with. By the shortness of their hair and the longness of mine, there was a real cultural barrier. I don't think I even really existed to anyone at that table. I was just about unnoticed the entire meal. My mind took me far away. I thought about Ray and Deb and Mike Boyd back in Iowa City. I wondered if they were going to miss me. The sound of Neil Young's song played in my head, and I kept thinking about how I was going to make it big in California. I was going to become friends with Neil Young, and he was going to discover me, and I was going to make records. After the meal was finished, I got up and helped clear the table. Eric and John said they had to get back to the construction site where they were working. So they they got up and said goodbye and left. While I was in the kitchen, Tom came in and he started doing dishes. Tell me, Tom, what do you do for a living, may I ask? I mostly help people build stronger relationship with God and just basically help people in need. What do you do, Gary? Well, I'm a musician. I'm going to California to find work. Do you think you'll find work out there? I hear the music business is tough all over. He sounded like he didn't want me to go. Well, I've always done all right in hard times, I said. Besides, Tom, I said half-mockingly, 
You just have to have what it takes, and I do, so I won't have any problem. Well, I'm sure you it's true, Gary. He responded so quickly and with more confidence than I had in myself that I was just dumbfounded. Thanks, Tom. You sure know how to make a person feel good. You must be very successful in your work. Do you make much money what you do? It doesn't sound quite as profitable as the music business. I chuckled because I had never made much profit as a musician. Well, I don't really make money as at what I do. It's entirely a non-profit organization. We trust in the Lord to provide. Does the Lord buy your clothes and food? I didn't want to put him on the spot, but I was wondering if the Lord would make a loan to me. The Lord provides, Gary. When you live under the guidance, I have proven that. The members of this household work, jobs, pay rent and board. They are part of my program. Do you mean Eric and John and Janet all pay you to live here? I was shocked, and I was wondering if it might be some strange cult. And Tom was the hypnotizing leader who controlled everyone in his, to his bidding in the name of the Lord. Then I realized he was too nice, or he seemed too, seemed too nice, and had a good feeling about him. I trusted and liked him already. In a sense, you could say that they pay me, but really the only one they pay is God who is the real provider. Tell me, Gary, is it true you were raised Quaker? He had obviously been talking to Doug. Yes, that's true, Tom. I was raised Quaker because it was the closest church to my family's house in Pennsylvania. I enjoyed it very much, but I stopped going to ninth and seventh grade. But I still feel very close to God, even though Doug says I couldn't unless I read the Bible all the time. I read the Bible, but I don't feel I've lost touch with God in the years I spent without reading the Bible. Well, that is good, Gary. Tell me what do, do your parents think of your journey to California? And what are you are their feelings about you quitting church in seventh grade? My father is of Jewish descent, and my mother is Presbyterian, and neither of them seem to care about church for me at all. They also don't care where I am either. They have their own problems with divorce and all that. I see, Gary. I'm sure that they care and probably worried about you and are wondering where you are. No, I don't think so, Tom. I told them I was traveling around the country and they wouldn't worry because I am 18 and old enough to make, old enough to take care of myself. They know that. And you said your father was Jewish, didn't you? Yes, so... Well, that makes you part of the Jewish with Christian upbringing. That is very special to God. I felt flattered, but I didn't know why. You were one of the chosen people. It is no accident that you have come to us. I was speechless. First, it was Doug telling me God made his foot hit the brake pedal. Now Tom was telling me that God had brought me to his house for some unknown purpose because I was one of the Jewish chosen people? I must admit, I've always felt special, but I didn't know if I could take it that far or if I wanted to. My stomach was starting to create butterflies. Tom had me baffled. I was wondering if I was the new Messiah, or maybe I was hoping. What do you mean, Tom? Am I here for a reason of God or just fate? Well, Gary, I wouldn't claim to know the mind of God, just recognize the will 
and the Word. I just know you are here for a purpose, and it's the will of God. Well, I'll be glad to finish the dishes, Tom. And after that, I really have to be going. I was feeling a little nervous. I wanted to be on my way to California, and I had a feeling I was going to try to talk me into a mission of God or something. Suddenly, I dreamed I saw myself at God's feet. I gave you legs, didn't I? Yes, Lord. I gave you feet, didn't I? Yes, Lord. Do you know what I want you to do with those feet and legs? No, Lord, tell me. I have told you, but you do not hear my word. I finished the dishes and asked Doug if he would drive me to the highway. I really want to thank you people for the hospitality and children you've offered, but I really got to get going to California. Janet and Mary waved goodbye as Doug and Tom drove me to the highway. Since Doug pointed out that the police patrol the main highway, Tom decided to drop me off one of the smaller routes where the police shouldn't be as lucky to be cruising. As I got out of the car, Tom and Doug wished me luck. If you have any problem, Gary, don't hesitate to call. I wrote down the phone number quickly on some scrap paper and said goodbye. They pulled a U-turn and sped off in a cloud of dust. It felt great to be on my way again. I dropped my backpack and guitar on the side of the road and started to hitch. The rain had completely stopped and the sun was shining through the clouds and the wind was blowing strong and warm. The car sped by and I figured it wouldn't be long until I got a ride. After an hour or so of hitchhiking, I took a break and walked into a field along the side of the road. I sat down on the pale grass and looked out over the the area. I was about 10 miles outside of Lincoln, Nebraska, in the farmland of America. I could see a small farm across the freeway that looked very picturesque. There was a wooden fence that surrounded the farm and several pastures in the side of the road. I looked a little harder and could see a man getting into his pickup and start his engine. A dog, collie type, was running across the yard between the house and the big barn, barking at a little girl on a red bicycle. The man in the pickup waved goodbye to a woman standing in the front door of the house as he pulled around and drove out the driveway. There was another girl, about 17, riding a horse in the fields. They were fenced off alongside the barn. She was galloping majestically across the pastures of her daddy's farm. Her long blonde hair flowing behind her, and the dog went running from the barn in pursuit of the girl on horseback. I could hear the sound of a buzzsaw cutting wood behind the house. I stared at the girl on horseback, so free and alive looking. I wished I could know her. She was beautiful, and it had been so long since I had kissed a girl. I wanted to walk right over and ask her to marry me. Perhaps her father would give me a job on the farm, and I would live happily ever after. Suddenly the wind picked up and blew my hat off my head. It even went rolling across the road right up to the front of the driveway of the farm. I dodged a few cars and ran to retrieve it. There I stood in the gates of heaven. Two small trees marked the entrance. I bent down to pick up my hat. I felt my adrenaline flow. I was going to do it. I was going to walk right down the driveway, right up to the girl on the horse, and ask her to marry me. As I I took a step forward, the dog that was good-naturedly chasing my beloved 
on horseback and charged across the yard like a demon toward me off or eat me alive. I didn't care to find out which. I turned and ran back across the freeway and resumed my hitchhiking endeavors. The dog ran back to the field where the girl was riding unaware of what had transpired. I decided marriage could wait. I stood on the highway watching carefully the inhabitants of each vehicle. I noticed something. Almost every car that drove by was filled with old people who would never stop and pick me up. I tried to hitch a ride for four hours with complete failure. All the psychology of hitchhiking that I had learned. So all like pretending I had a broken foot or trying to look like the favorite grandson with a big, clean smile was not working. I began to feel desperate. I walked a mile back down the road to a truck stop I had noticed on the way up. As I approached the truck stop area, another even bigger gust of wind blew my hat off again, and I went rolling past the gas pumps and whipping through the air in circular motion. I couldn't run this time to catch it because I had my guitar in my hand and my backpack on, so I had to just stand there and watch it get run and mutilated by a thousand trucks and cars and intersecting roads that converged on the busy truck stop. The wind really began to pick up, and I thought it would be a good idea to seek shelter. The truck stop was the only thing available. I ran inside before the wind got a chance to blow me in front of the merciless traffic. If you've ever been a long-haired dude in the late 60s traveling in the Midwest and landed in a truck stop in the middle of nowhere, you know how I felt. Otherwise, you'll have to understand the expression freaked out. I was freaked out beyond my gourd. I didn't know what was worse, to be blown away by 50-mile-an-hour winds or captive by 20 redneck truck drivers. I walked up to the diner and even, even head... I walked in the diner and every head in that place turned toward me. A couple of crusty-looking drivers actually started pointing at me like I was some kind of sideshow. The wind was so strong the door was pulled out of my grip, which would have allowed a somewhat quiet entrance and was slammed shut behind me. Crash. Dead silence for a few minutes while everyone stared. Suddenly, the big bruiser jumped up and yelled, You can't come in here, you hippie faggot. Others started to join in. We're going to mop the floor with you, you pinko fuck. A few of the men started to come towards me. I turned and glanced back towards the wind outside and saw my hat still being tossed by the wind and smashed to the cement and rolling under the wheels. I looked back at the angry truck drivers and at the time that were charging me. Halt, I yelled as I jumped on one of the nearest tabletops. I am one of the chosen by God to bring in news of the return of the Messiah. Everyone stopped and they two killers stopped in their tracks. Beware, children of God, I yelled at the top of my lungs. Do not be feel fooled by my appearance. I am the chosen one. I couldn't believe it. I had somehow caught them off guard. I am the son of God, and you and you are also. They started to mumble among themselves. 
I have been sent to the truck stop by the will of God to speak to you. It is no accident that I am before you. Thanks to Tom, I was thinking. You look like an accident, yelled one monster in the corner. Shut up, let him speak. Yelled another. I had halted all activity in the diner. I stood like a preacher on the mount on top of the table. I suppose my quick thinking had saved my hide, but I suddenly was at the loss for words. I didn't know what else to say. I had no message, or at least I couldn't think of one, so I pulled my favorite childhood trick. I fainted. I did a spasmodic twist and fell dramatically off the table and onto the floor. I could hear a few of the men yell, let's crush that faggot. But I felt the strong hands of the cook pick me up before anyone could reach me. I feigned grogginess, and he helped me into the back room of the diner and into safety. Are you the son of God, he asked me as I wiped the cold sweat off my brow. I am as you are, brother. I didn't want to know my, I didn't want to blow my cover, and I was having trouble keeping up the charade. He looked at me long and hard and said, well, I guess I'll let you stay back here, safe from that mob out there. They're all good Christians at heart. They just don't know it. I wasn't sure how much this guy trusted me, but he let me stay in back until a few of the troublemakers left. He let me use the phone, and I called Tom and Doug and told them what had happened and begged them to pick me up. In about 20 minutes, they arrived and escorted me out the back door as I yelled, Praise the Lord! And the cook who had saved me. He just stood and stared as I drove off with Tom and Doug, who seemed also amazed at what I had said, but they didn't say a word until we got back to the house, probably because I was babbling so much about what had happened. When Doug said to me, when we were in private, Tom knew you were coming back, he said. God had shown him a sign. It was unbelievable.